Hi there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. It's good to see you guys again. If I had the if I'd have thought about this beforehand, maybe I could have changed my sh- shirt or something so you thought it was somebody different, but it's not. We're continuing our conversation about the church this morning. But before we come to that, I just want to spend a few moments um, just introducing you to a concept called invitation and challenge. Invitation and challenge. Over the past few months, I've been engaging in this discipleship uh, journey, and it's called Building a Discipling Culture. And it's, it's a journey that we're being taken through by um, Crossway Baptist Church in Melbourne. This is something that they've rolled out in their church, and um, they just have a heart to, to make this available to other churches around Australia. So um, we have a coach. Um, his name's Carl. He lives in... Um, in Queensland, in Ipswich, and we catch up with him via Zoom once every couple of weeks, and we're learning about building a discipling culture. And BDC, it's been it's been fabulous so far. I'm really enjoying the journey, and there are there are whole there are parts of it that are, that are really challenging me personally, especially this idea of invitation and challenge. I'm sharing that with you because I think over time it's going to be a part of our language, form a part of our practice as a church. So it goes something like this. So Jesus extended invitation to his disciples. He called them to come and follow him. And that was an invitational thing. He called them into relationship. He called them to come close to him. It was an invitation into community. It was an invitation into belonging to something And Jesus gives his disciples access to himself, access to his life. So it's highly relational, this idea of invitation. But once Jesus has established relationship with his disciples through invitation, he starts to challenge them a little bit. He starts to extend various different challenges to his disciples. He challenges them to grow, challenges them to pursue God, to put his kingdom first. And these guys are fishermen, most of them, and they know how to catch fish, but he challenges them by sending them out and fish to fish for people. And he tells them, he said, you can't be my disciples if you don't carry your cross daily. You can't be my disciples if you're not prepared to give up everything for me. And there's some significant challenge in those words of Jesus. But Jesus pivots between invitation Come and follow me. Come close. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to eat with you. I want to hang out with you. But there's also challenge. So he pivots between invitation and challenge. Invitation and challenge. If we're going to be, be disciples, we talk at Kerry about being disciples and making disciples. If we're going to be disciples, if we're going to make disciples, then I think there's something in this concept of invitation and challenge for us as a church community. BDC have a really cool diagram I'm going to have some slides popping up here. Um, They express this idea of invitation challenge through this helpful diagram. So there's an invitation axis. So the further up the, the, the continuum you get, the more invitational things get. And they also have a challenge axis. That points that away. So the further you get down that end, the more challenging. So some of those things Jesus said about, if you can't leave everything for me, 
then you can't be my disciple. That's challenging. That's, that's way down the end of the challenge spectrum. Maybe going fish for people is, is challenging, but not as hard as some of the other challenges that Jesus issues. So there's the basic idea. There's invitation and there's challenge. <clears throat> and there, there are four quadrants, obviously, to, to this diagram. So if we have high, inv- if we have high invitation and low challenge, that can lead to people generally feeling really safe and cosy. If we have low challenge and low invitation, that can lead to people getting a bit apathetic, passive, bored. If we have low invitation and really high challenge, that can lead to people feeling stressed and discouraged and overwhelmed because it's all do, 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 do. And there's no relationship. So people can get stressed out, discouraged and overwhelmed. But BDC talk about this idea of having high invitation and high challenge. That leads to people being empowered and, and, and enabled to empower others. So it's empower, you're empowered and you're empowering others. And they talk about that as the discipleship quadrant. That is the discipleship quadrant. Now, we all have our default ways of being. Some of us are really relational people. We're highly invitational. And so we might, we might gravitate more towards the invitational side of things and be low on challenge. But there are some of us who just love challenge, love challenging people, might be lower on the invitational side, lower on the, on the, on the relational side, but you're really strong on the challenge. And churches also tend to fit into one of these four quadrants. So many churches, lots of churches these days, tend to be really seeker-friendly. So they're typically really high on invitation and they don't tend to challenge people that much. I think for us um, here at Kerry, we probably sit in that place up there. We're really high on invitation, but probably a little bit lower on challenge. And I feel like we probably need to shift. If we're going to operate in the discipleship quadrant, we need to shift a little bit, shift towards a little bit more challenge. So if you feel a little bit more challenge coming your way over the coming weeks and months and throughout this year, please remember this concept of invitation and challenge. I don't expect anybody to remember this, so we'll probably revisit this as as we go through the year. Remember, you guys are loved deeply. You are loved deeply. We want to maintain being a highly relational, highly invitational community. But I feel like there's a need for us to shift to become a little bit more challenging, to pivot invitation and challenge, invitation and challenge. And it's really hard. It's really hard to move from there to there. BDC talk about the fact that it's not just a straight line. It kind of goes through this, this kind of process. So some of you might feel, hey, we've become a less invitational church, less relational, and that's why that's, there's this dip. That bit that's shaded in um, green hatches there, um, one of the BDC practitioners calls that the valley of the shadow of death. It might feel to you like we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, but we will come out the other side, I promise you, as we, as we try and push a bit harder into some challenge. It might feel a little bit uncomfortable for some of us. I know this concept for me, it's felt uncomfortable 
because I'm a highly relational, highly invitational, highly personable individual. And, and the idea of issuing challenge in that way, it doesn't come as naturally to me as perhaps some of us. So can I encourage you to be prepared to sit in the challenge and resist the urge to run away, resist the urge to avoid it. Try and sit with it and ask God, hey God, is there something in this that you're wanting to teach me? Is there something in this that are you wanting to grow me in some way through this challenge that I'm feeling? And it can be difficult and it can be uncomfortable because it stretches us. And I know this from personal experience. This has <clears throat> been something of my journey over the last little while. As I sit in God's challenge, I feel like it's causing me to grow, but it feels really uncomfortable. It feels unpleasant, but it's highly beneficial. I know it's highly beneficial. So that's invitation challenge, just by way of introduction. Coming to our conversation about the church, I spoke on Vision Sunday about this, what's our next step as a church? What's our next step as a church? Where might God be leading us over the coming years? And I think a really important part of that process is for us to clearly understand who we are as a church because we need to know who we are before we know where we're going, where we should be heading. This question, who are we as a church? It's actually, it's actually a question being asked by people all around the world. I've done lots and lots of reading over the last year. I've spoken to stacks of different pastors and people that work in parachurch organisations. And there's this general consensus that the church is going through a pretty refining time. The church is being significantly challenged. And it's being challenged in ways that go perhaps even to something of our core identity, this who are we question. The church is experiencing challenge, and many people are asking the question, what is the church? Who are we? What does it mean to be the people of God? Do I need to actually come and physically sit in a building like this? Or is it okay for me to just watch online? Who are we? Mike Frost, he writes extensively on the church. He's an Australian missiologist. And Mike Frost is someone who's very, very, very high. If you follow anything of Mike Frost, he's high, high, high on the challenge spectrum. There's not a whole lot of invitation. But he, he's, he's almost prophetic in some of the stuff that he, that he does. He's, 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 um, he's an evangelist. He's a missiologist. And he's familiar with the Australian church because he's, he's based in Sydney. I watched an interview with him last year. And he, he asked, he made this point. Without the Sunday meeting, we don't know who we are. Without the Sunday meeting, we don't know who we are. Who are we as the church? So the church is facing challenge, but it's no stranger to challenges. The church is no stranger to difficulty. Throughout history, the church always comes back to life. And in fact, more often than not, it comes back to a place of being stronger and flourishing, being more vibrant than it was previously. In fact, some of the church's very best moments have been when they've gone through, when the church has gone through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm currently, I'm currently reading this book. It's called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. The early church do the, during the first few hundred years of its life uh, underwent incredible resistance, persecution, and, and so many people were martyred. 
Because the church was so heavily persecuted, um, when they gathered for their meetings, they actually used to lock the front doors. And if you were a pagan, you were not allowed to come through the church front door. Can you imagine us locking the... Once everyone, okay, we're all here. Okay, can somebody go and just lock the door? Um, And they'd actually have some deacons standing at the front door that would prevent anybody that was not a follower of Jesus coming into church. Can you imagine us doing that? The reason they used to do that was because pagans would try and infiltrate the church and say, hey, do you know that that... I was down at uh, Forestdale, Kerry Baptist Forestdale on Sunday, and they're talking about this, this notion of Jesus being king. And so there'd be a mass rounding up of people and, and, you know, heads would literally roll. So they locked pagans out. And the early church, they didn't have a mission strategy. They never really spoke about the Great Commission. They never had a strong emphasis on evangelism. But the church flourished like it probably never, ever has like it never, ever has. And it flourished because, and it experienced radical growth because during those first few hundred years, people lived out their faith in really radical ways and people were attracted. Your neighbours would be attracted by the way you lived life. People could see that there was a difference about Christians and they were just drawn to that. It was like this magnet that drew people in. So it wasn't that they had... um, revival crusades or or a a wide open door that anybody could come in or they had a mission strategy and plan. They just lived out their faith in radical ways as they followed Jesus. And lots and lots and lots of people said yes to Jesus, which is awesome. And that's during a season of incredible challenge, incredible challenge. I've read some pretty good books on the church over the past few months But as I think about this question, who are we? I think the best place for us to start is with scripture. I couldn't really say, being a pastor, I probably couldn't say anything other than that. I've read some really good books. Some of the stuff I'm sharing with you this morning, actually, um, John Stott, um, he's a great writer, great author. Some of the stuff um, is John uh, John Stott's influence on some of my thinking. Um, But the best place to start is scripture. So over the next few weeks, we're just going to go on a little bit of a journey and we're going to look at some pretty basic principles, things that many of you will no doubt be familiar with. But even though these principles are basic, even though they're simple, they're not new or novel ideas, these principles remain 2,000 years from when the church was first established. They remain foundational principles. And I suspect that there may be some challenge for some of us in some of these principles. So we're going to look at Acts 2, 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. John Stott refers to this particular passage as God's vision for his church. I love that language. This is God's vision, God's vision. And it's his church, God's vision for his church. And Luke, the writer of Acts, says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now I'll say up front, I don't think we can actually or we should necessarily try and replicate the church in Acts. God was doing something unique, doing something different. God just poured out his, his spirit on people for the very first time and the church was born. But I do think that we can take some really, really important principles from the early church. I think we can tend to idealise the church in Acts by seeing it through rose-tinted glasses and perhaps forget that it wasn't without its own challenges. If you read some of the, some of the letters that were written to the, to the early churches, um, they, they, they experienced rivalry, there was heresies, immorality, people were treating one another really poorly. And in some of the churches, the, the, the worship was just filled with excess. So the church, the early church, wasn't perfect. They didn't get everything right, but the church still flourished in spite of their failings. And I actually find that really encouraging. I find it really encouraging to know that we too face challenges, we too are imperfect, yet we too can flourish even in the face of challenge. So coming to Acts 4, sorry, Acts 2.42, Acts 2.42, the first four words... I just want us to drill down onto those first four words for a moment. They devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to. The word that's translated devoted here means to occupy oneself diligently with something, to pay persistent attention to, to hold fast to something, or continually be in something. Luke's stressing here, Luke is stressing here that these people were heavily committed. They were completely devoted. They were diligent. They were in boots and all. They were in boots and all. They were committed to this thing, the church. The verb devoted applies to each of the four nouns that follow. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and they were devoted to prayer. And they were, they were also devoted to doing these things together. They were devoted to doing these things with other believers. They were devoted to doing these things as a community. Luke gives us a bit of a peek into what their devotion looked like in practice. In verse 45, we read that they, they sold their property and possessions and they gave to those in need. Man, that's, that's a level of devotion. That's a serious level of devotion. In verse 46, we read that every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. Every day, meeting in the temple courts and breaking bread in their homes. These people were deeply committed. They were intentional as well about creating community. The process of them forming community, of maintaining community, it, they realise it doesn't just happen. It's not something that just happens. But they met each day. So they were committed to this life together as a family of God. Now, I'm not suggesting, I said earlier, we shouldn't necessarily try and replicate the early church. I love you guys and I know you guys love me, but I don't think it would be a good thing if we hung out every single day. I don't know about you guys. Imagine seeing one another every single day. 
every single day. I was reading about some of the Greeks and the Greeks would, uh, if you were part of a, 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 an organisation, a Greek organisation, they would tend to come together monthly. They'd come together monthly and, and meet uh, over a meal. But the church, every day, every day they're, get, they're getting together, they're eating with one another, they're, they're, they're um, committed to this life together. But the principle here, I think, is that the creation of community, it requires investment. It requires some commitment and some devotion on, on our part. And this actually applies to any relationship. We've all been in relationships, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's a, a friendship with somebody. A relationship takes some time. It takes some devotion. It takes some effort. It, it requires us to invest some energy in that relationship in order to make that relationship work. doesn't matter what kind of relationship is. And we are a family. And it requires a level of devotion from our family members. I read this article a few months ago. Unfortunately, I can't remember where I read this article. But it talks about church life uh, pre-COVID and what things look like now. This was, this was at the end of last year I read this article. And they had surveyed hundreds of churches and they did this statistic analysis on a whole range of different things. And they found that on average, pre-COVID, people tended to attend church on average every two or three weeks, which is probably not a great stat, which is probably not a great stat, but that's now shifted post-COVID as people are coming back. It shifted to an average of every three to four weeks and it's continuing to grow an average of three to four weeks, and it's continuing to grow. Now, there are no doubt numbers of reasons why that is the case for people. We're, we find ourselves in a really unusual situation globally. But when we compare these statistics with what we see in the church in Acts, I don't know about you guys, but there, there seems to be a real significant disconnect there. And, and it becomes difficult to build community, to create community, if we don't have a level of, of commitment to that community, to creating it, to participating in it, helping to sustain the life of the family. Now, there are, there are seasons, we all go through seasons in life where circumstances change and, and we're required to pull back and, and, and we all go through those sorts of seasons in life. But I don't think that these kind of stats that are highlighted in this article should become our accepted norm. Okay, so that's the first four words of Acts 2, 42 to 47. Let's come to what John Stott calls the four distinguishing marks of a living church, the four distinguishing marks of a living church. But in case anybody's looking at their watch thinking, how are we going to get through the next however many verses, we're only going to look at the first one today, okay? The other three marks, which we'll look at over the next couple of weeks, are that um, a living church is an evangelising church. A living church is a caring church. And a living church is a worshipping church. So we'll cover those in the coming weeks. But today, we're just going to look at mark number one. Mark number one of a living church. And it's this, that we are a learning church. Learning was the first thing that they devoted themselves to. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Now, for those of us who dislike school or study, there's probably a bit of a collective sigh at this point. Like, seriously, how can this be the most important mark of a church? And in some ways, it it might seem surprising to some of us that they focused on learning. Because keep in mind, these are now people of the Spirit. The Spirit has fallen on these people, and they are people of the Spirit. But Luke tells us that they're focused here on learning. But Jesus spent lots of time with his disciples, teaching them. He spent lots of time instructing them, showing them, teaching them how to live. So teaching had a really important place in Jesus' life with his disciples and it had a really important place in the, in the um, early church as well. Even though these people had just been filled with life from the Spirit, this didn't mean that they neglected their intellect. They didn't just kind of switch off their brains at that point in favour of a more mystical, spiritual kind of experience. And they didn't believe that just because they'd received the Spirit that he was the only teacher that they now required. They acknowledged that Jesus had called apostles, appointed apostles, to teach and to guide his people. So how does that translate to us? How does that translate to us? How is it possible for us to learn from the apostles? The teaching of the apostles is found right throughout the New Testament in the letters and in the Gospels. And the apostles taught and affirmed the Old Testament. So we've got the scriptures. The apostles' teaching has been given to us in the scriptures, this collection of amazing books that have been recognised by the church of having incredibly special significance, of having a unique level of authority. The scriptures are God-breathed, inspired by his spirit, and, and they're God's word to us. So a living church is a learning church. It follows and it submits to the teaching of Scripture. So why do we need to have somebody stand up here for 25 minutes every week? Why don't we do things differently? Well, we're endeavouring to be a learning church. We recognise the importance of being a learning church, but not simply in order to gain knowledge. If everybody walks out of here this morning and thinks, oh, I've learned something new, but it doesn't actually translate into our lives in some way, then there's a problem. James talks about don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. It's really important that the stuff that we learn is translated into how we live our lives. Tremper Longman, um, he's an Old Testament scholar. We nearly had him speaking at Kerry last year. He, was, um, he spoke at Voice, but his, his calendar was too full. But this guy's an amazing Old Testament scholar. And he has this to say. The Bible was not written for our information, but for our transformation. It is not a quarry to find stones with which to batter others, but to find the rock on which to build the church. It does not invite us simply to speak of God, but to hear God and to confess that his son Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we're a learning church. We want to be a doing church. We want to translate what we learn into how we live. Now, we're a Baptist church. We don't make a big deal about the fact that we're Baptists. You might have heard Brian talk about the fact that we're not big B Baptists. We're small B Baptists. Um, We have a fairly generous orthodoxy. 
But being a learning church as Baptists, that warms our hearts. Uh, We have a number of things that are really important to us, including baptism. But more important to Baptists than baptism itself is the primacy and the importance of Scripture. In fact, people, uh, Baptist people are often referred to as people of the book because scripture matters deeply to us. Why does it matter so deeply to us? Because it's God's special revelation to us. It's the book through which God reveals himself. He reveals his plan for humanity. It's the book which reveals to us who God is, who his son was, why he came and lived and why he died how we can be in relationship with this amazing God who's revealed himself to us through his word. Scripture is God's word that guides us and it encourages us. It helps us to know the mind and the will of God. It encourages us when we're feeling lost. It challenges us perhaps when we're going off track. It teaches us how to pray and it provides us with this amazing anchor in a world where anything goes where there are no absolutes, where there is no absolute truth. It provides us with an anchor. It teaches us about the church. It teaches us who we are as the family of God, who we are as the people of God, what he has called us to, how we should live, and much, much, much more. Some of our learning happens here on a Sunday morning, but most of our learning will happen in our home as we read scripture at home as we have our quiet times. It may be that you listen to podcasts or watch videos or whatever it might be. Maybe you, maybe you have conversations around the dinner table as, as a family. Maybe you're involved in a connect group, but being a learning church is not just about 20, 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's what we'll do through the week in our own, in our own spaces. But learning is a really important part of the church in Acts and it's something that will continue to be central and important for us here. So as the church, who are we? Who are we? Well, I think in part, we're going to continue exploring over the next few weeks, but in part, we're a community of people deeply devoted to God. We're a community of people deeply devoted to one another. We're a community of people deeply devoted to learning And we're also deeply devoted to incorporating what we learn into our lives, into the ways that we live our life, so that we can be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ and so be his faithful representatives in our world. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your church. Help us to be people who are devoted to being a learning church and devoted to putting into practice all that we do learn. Help us to be a community of people who embrace both invitation and challenge so that we may be transformed into the likeness of Christ and so be your faithful representatives in our world. We pray these things in and through the most awesome name of Jesus. Amen.